a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A Gentle Thief, written and performed by Amanda Dixon. Episode 23. In episode 22, we find Sophie Brownlee in Consolier's house. He catches her there. And they talk about the case of Maddie Johnson for hours. When she leaves, she calls her husband and they have quite a discussion. On her way back to the hotel, she stops at the Shakespearean Festival and she sees the play that's showing that night. It's Hamlet. And now, episode 23 of A Gentle Thief. Ike Johnson flew into Las Vegas on Monday, January 2nd, and drove four hours to Cedar City, the last two hours after he crossed the Utah state line in a blinding snowstorm. Cookie Johnson arrived the next day. They both stayed at the Holiday Inn. Cookie called Ike's room when she arrived to let him know she was there. You made it. Ike said dryly. Yeah, Cookie answered. There was no fight in her, at least not at the moment. What time do you want to go over to the funeral home? Ike asked. I'd like to just shower and lie down for an hour or so. I'll call you when I'm ready. Okay, he agreed. Ike couldn't bring himself to turn on the TV. He sat on the bed in his little motel room, his suitcase still sitting on the floor with his clothes in it. He thought he should get up and at least take the suit out and hang it up. He would need it to look nice for the funeral, but he just couldn't make himself get off the bed. When he knew he wouldn't need to talk on the phone or deal with anything for a while, he let himself cry again. It was a full, rocking cry, followed intermittently by silent tears which led back to a shaking cry. He didn't let himself make a sound for fear that someone in the next room would hear. The walls were thin. He could hear the TV on in the room behind his headboard. He was grateful that that was all he could hear. Cookie called back sooner than he expected. It had only been 20 minutes. I couldn't sleep, she said, sounding more annoyed than she had before. Do you want to go now? He ran his hand over his eyes, hoping she didn't hear the recent tears. Might as well. I'm sure they're going to try to sell us something we can't afford. Funeral homes are like that. They take you for all you're worth because they can. You've lost your daughter, and they're trying to get you to spend $5,000 on a casket because it's prettier. I could just kill these people, sitting there with their faces all fake and sensitive. Ike didn't say a word. He knew better. How are we going to pay for this anyway? She asked accusingly, even though she knew the answer. Don't worry about the money. I'll pay for everything. 
Lucky for us, you married money. <laughs> she laughed at her thoughtless joke. Although maybe if you hadn't run off and gotten married, we wouldn't be here in the first place. He knew this was coming. He had been waiting for her to blame Maddie's death on him. He did. She might as well. If you hadn't have abandoned us when Maddie was so young and impressionable, maybe this day would never have happened. You saw how much she was hurting. Didn't you care one little bit for your own daughter's well-being? Didn't you see how you're leaving and then marrying that whore was just killing Maddie? Of course you did. You knew, but you didn't care. All you cared about was having sex with that. Stop! Just stop! He shouted into the phone. He startled himself and Cookie. The only reason I'm not arguing with you right now is because I can't. I cannot spend any more precious energy on you, telling you how wrong you are, how wrong you've always been since the beginning, because I need every ounce of energy I have to make it through these next few days. So why don't you call one of your sisters and tell them what a devil I am and how I drove our daughter to suicide. Maybe they'll still listen to your garbage because I'm done. He hung up before she could fire back. He was shaking, shocked at what he'd said, shocked that it had taken him 20 years to say it. Ike already believed it was his fault that his daughter was dead. He didn't need his ex-wife to tell him that. He had been blaming himself since the call from the Cedar City Police Department. He thought it was a prank at first. Then he thought maybe they had the wrong man, the wrong girl. But they didn't. His daughter was dead. His little girl. Ike went up to his daughter's house the day he arrived in Cedar City. That first day, he just sat on her couch. He had never been in her house before, in this house he had purchased for her. He liked it. It seemed stable, well-made, nice for his little girl. He sat on her couch and looked at the TV she used to watch. He walked to her kitchen and touched the canister of Pringles potato chips she had eaten from. He had a chip, a chip that touched a chip she would have eaten. He was sad when he opened the fridge. There was almost no food except for a few condiments and a half a carton of milk. He walked back into her bedroom and saw where they had found her. The bed was stripped. There was a blood stain on the mattress. He walked over and touched it. The next day, he started going through her things, thinking about what he would need to do to pack up to take with him, or more probably, what he would need to give to Cookie. She would want everything, and that was fine with him. He went through her books, her papers, her journals. At first, he tried to keep himself from reading her journal, but then decided she would forgive him the invasion of privacy. He had to know what she was thinking before she killed herself. That was the day he started to wonder if she did, in fact, kill herself. It was the day he learned about Consolier. Maddie had filled more than one whole journal with nothing but con. She talked about meeting him, about leaving her husband, about how drawn to con she was. She talked about intimate things, about how she had wanted to have sex with him but had never allowed herself to. She talked about his eyes, pages and pages about his eyes and the light she saw in them. She theorized about why she was so drawn to him, why he seemed to have such power over her. 
She complained about how badly he treated her, how he would say he was coming and never show up, how he would promise to meet her somewhere, then call at the last minute and cancel. He broke her heart a hundred times before they finally broke up, which had been just a few days ago. Maddie wrote about Khan's last visit before she died. She woke up one morning and found him sitting in her living room. That contemptible lowlife had just walked into his daughter's house, uninvited, in the middle of the night, and made himself at home. At least he didn't walk into her bedroom and get in bed with her, Ike thought. That was something. Ike spent hours with her journals. He decided these were the one thing he would keep from Maddie's mother. She wouldn't understand. She would blame Maddie. She would think less of her daughter if she read these pages, and Ike would not allow that. He put them all, seven in total, into a garbage bag and carried them out to the rental car one afternoon. He found Maddie's will. He was surprised she had one. He had not even had a will until after Samantha died. He always knew he should, but it wasn't until he worked with a lawyer settling Samantha's estate that he actually drew one up for himself. He found Maddie's will, along with her living will and do-not-resuscitate documents, all neatly filed in a small portable file box in the bottom of her closet. The will was simple, only three pages long. It had been updated just a few weeks before. Maddie left all the money in her bank and trust accounts, including the money she had inherited from her stepmother, to her mother. She left nearly all of her possessions to her mother. She wanted her mother to be taken care of, to have enough. Finally, enough. The only exception to the bequeath to her mother was for real property— the two houses Ike had bought her a couple of years prior, the one she lived in and the one she rented down the lane. Maddie left both of those properties to Junior Kemmler. When Ike read that, he paused. She left both of the properties to Junior? He had met Junior Monday, the day he arrived. Junior came and knocked on the door when Ike was sitting on the couch. He introduced himself. He said he was sorry for Ike's loss. He said he was a friend of Maddie's, that he liked her very much, and that he would miss her. He said he rented the house down the street, that he had been Maddie's handyman, and that he would be at home all afternoon if Ike needed anything. She had given Junior the houses? Son of a gun! That girl was full of surprises. Ike wondered if she had felt more than friendship for Junior. That was an awfully big gift for a friend. But there was nothing about Junior in Maddie's journals, nothing but an occasional mention of how much she liked him and enjoyed talking to him and what a good guy he was. Ike could see why Maddie felt that way. He seemed like a kind young man. Ike wondered if Maddie gave the property to him because she thought he deserved it, being such a hard-working, salt-of-the-earth sort of guy. Or maybe it was just to make sure her father never got it back. It didn't matter. It's probably just as well, Ike thought. This way, he wouldn't have to bother with trying to sell the houses or worry about cookies being displeased with the way he handled it. They weren't his properties to deal with now. He decided he would tell Junior about the will the next time he saw him and tell him there would be no hard feelings, that he was glad Maddie had left the property to him. Friday morning was clear. The skies were big and blue, like only skies in the West can be. Ike didn't call Cookie to say he was going over to the funeral home.
They hadn't really talked since their heated words on Tuesday. When Ike arrived at the funeral home, the son of the owner was there to greet him. He was wearing a black suit, his hair washed and combed. He looked mature for his age, Ike thought. He wished Maddie had met him. The flowers in the room where the service would be held were beautiful. There were lots of them, twice as many as most people bought for these occasions. Ike Johnson had not been able to stop overspending on his daughter, even in death. The front of the room was covered with gladiolas, carnations, daisies, and mums. The casket, which was closed, had a spray of red roses lying on top so beautiful it could only mean the girl inside was dearly loved. Ike didn't notice that people had started to arrive until the son of the owner came and guided him to some mourners who wanted to pay their respects. A woman introduced herself as a teacher at the school where Maddie taught. Her eyes were wet. She told Ike how much she would miss his daughter. After she took her seat, another woman appeared, and then another. There were mothers of her students, mothers of her former students, There were even a few children who came up to Ike to shake his hand. One young boy threw his arms around Ike at the waist, and when he pulled away said, I loved Miss Johnson. Ike could not speak during the ceremony. The funeral home director had asked him if he wanted to, but he could not. Instead, he let his ex-wife speak and Maddie's ex-husband. The exes said all that needed saying. Robert Abel spoke eloquently about his young wife. What a shining, bright, brief moment she had been in his life, in all of their lives. He quoted one of Maddie's favorite poems. She was my north, my south, my east and west, my working week and my Sunday rest, my noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. Ike rode in the car behind the hearse on the way to the cemetery. His ex-wife sat on the seat beside him as far away as she could, close enough to the door that her leg was touching it. "'We should have taken her home to be buried,' Cookie said disdainfully. She had been saying things like that off and on since they got in the car, but he didn't really hear. He knew they were criticisms of some kind, but it didn't matter anymore. No response from him was required.' Whatever connection they had while Maddie was alive was severed. Ike looked out the window as they pulled in the cemetery just north of town. He had picked out her plot a few days prior. It was positioned next to a child, a little girl named Sarah, who had died before she turned one. Ike thought Maddie would like being next to a little girl. When Ike got out of the car, he turned back for a moment to face the street. Over his ex-wife's shoulder, he noticed a young woman with her hair pulled back in a ponytail, jogging by in the distance. She reminded him of Maddie. Maddie.